Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week, through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. We're your hosts, Ned Hoke and Adam Lehman. Well, hello, this is Ned Hoke from Natural Methods Healthcare in Sonoma, California, KSVY 91.3 Sonoma with Health Matters. We're here every week, uh, Wednesdays, for digestion and discussion on matters of health wide local and national and international. Today we're joined by a guest, a local girl, Katie Byrne, and she is the author of a book called Outside the Box Hairball, and uh, she's also a a radio person who follows my own show here on KSVY, and uh, so, Katie, thanks for uh, coming in with us today. Oh, it's a thrill. It's exciting. Well, we're we're pre-recording for this uh, December 26th period because I think both of us wanted to be somewhere else, which makes perfect sense. So we won't be able to do call-ins today, and we also will uh, probably be non... As if, if the world blows up between now and then, we will not have known about it. <laughs> so... I have, a, I have a guess we won't be short of anything to say, Ned. Okay, all right. Well, we, we're a couple of talkers here. Yep. So, um, Katie, uh, you know, I got, like I say, what got me inspired in, in addition to you being, you know, following my program here on KSVY, I... When I had read your little piece, and I hadn't heard you talk about it, but I, I just read your piece called On Healthcare and How It Arrives, I was really gratified to read that because here she's saying that it comes a different way. So maybe you could give, let our listeners know what, when you say that, when healthcare comes a different way, wow, give us a synopsis of that, if you would, please. Absolutely. And the title of the book, as it is now, as it, if you'll find it on Amazon.com, is called Hairball Diaries. Right. And that's because I wrote in my diary every night for so long, it just had to become a book. <laughs> right. But the uh, subtitle is The Courage to Speak Up. And really the the upshot, if you will, of of how my book translates into health is it's really all about telling the truth and it's all about talking to yourself and to each other instead of shutting down and you know the research on that shows pretty clearly that if we do have community and if we do get out what we are stuffing or if we're stonewalling then we feel better our immune systems are stronger we're relieved Oftentimes we have less uh, addiction because we are dealing with what's going on inside. It's all about the the courage to speak up, and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you are a psychotherapist here in town, and you are – it's completely understandable that you politically would – not just politically, but sort of psychopolitically, if you will, would take that position. But, of course, because what you're – your challenge is to get your help your clients accomplish that 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 transition, and of course at the same time I'm sure some of our listeners may feel like, you know, there's the other there's another side to that there's 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 the side where we have to hold our tongue sometimes there's that there's the side where we, um, well I pretty much said it I mean where we're, we're it, you know 
discretion is a better part of valor, as the saying goes. So tell our listeners a little bit about how do, how do you confront that at the same time, or do you feel like uh, the you know the the better part of valor is is to risk just to let it fly? I mean, there's a there's some a lot of interesting tension there. <laughs> Well, I have a, a section in the book that we don't need to get into right away. We can keep our listeners in suspense, but everybody always wants to know the how to do it, how to get out the hairball, mm-hmm. because it does kind of sound like, well, you just blurt it out and everything will be better, and oh, it's not quite that so simple. So you've got a little a little more articulation there. <laughs> a little bit more. Okay. Uh, but I think to your question, I mean, the other point is, is that... Uh, the the idea of when to hold them, when to fold them, when to get out what you have in going on, uh, you're triggered or you're bothered or you're upset or you have a request or a need, and when not to is uh, another really interesting uh, issue that I really struggled with in the book because in my heart of hearts, I'm not sure I ever believe in holding things down, especially if they really bother you. But I did write a chapter called X Marks the Spot. And what my particular belief is, is that there are people who cannot talk with you in a respectful way. They just simply are too toxic. They're too mean. Uh, they're the criteria I give for who not to speak up to are people who are chronically mean, sarcastic, critical, not just one time in 10 years. That, that I think, is, is unfortunately a common phenomenon. We have a 10-year friendship, and just one time somebody's really insulting and we cut them off. I think that's really neurotic. But if somebody is chronically insulting. I don't think they're the person to tell the truth to, mm-hmm. unless you want to, but you, you'll probably know what to expect. Ah, uh-huh, right. So, but that's that's still, isn't that a relatively small category, though? Mm-hmm. I mean, in other yes. words, so there's still a whole, if, if that's 10% of the field, there's 90% left. Yes. And still there's some, there's some room for diplomacy in that 90%. So help our listeners g- get an insight as to how you feel to deal with the other 90%. Okay. Yeah, we might as well get right to that in case anybody's rushing around and they they have to go into the grocery store. And, and let's get this part to the audience. The how-to is really simple. If I have something to say to you and I'm nervous about it, typically people say things like, why bother? They don't care anyway. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to lose my job. Uh, you know, there are all of these reasons that we give ourselves not to tell the truth. And there, there, there's a plethora of those. And unfortunately, it causes us to have uh, all the way, not only problems at home, but world war. But the how to tell the truth is really simple. You think about the face on a person's face, and you have two eyeballs and a mouth. And if you get into a jam, just remember the face of a person. And it starts with one eye, and the first eye is intention. Hmm. So if I'm mad at you, I'm going to start out with, you know, Ned, it's my intention to clear things up between us. Or, you know, Ned, I'd like to feel a little more comfortable around you, and I feel a little tense lately. Can I check something out with you? My intention is to clear the way. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you start with intention, it's usually pretty positive, hopefully. (laughs) Sometimes it's like, can we just, you know, end this relationship and do it cleanly? Mm -hmm. Well, whatever. The second is another I, which is always make I statements. 
Now, you and I know that. We've studied in this field, but not everybody does remember that. It can't be you, 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 you. It just does not work. And in, in any way, blame is all projection. Uh, then the third thing is what I call coming from the mouth, and that is request. Re- it's a request, a wish. A w- the third thing is, you know what I wish? Mm-hmm. I wish we did radio every week and we had a blast. And I'd like to feel really comfortable with you. How can we do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all. It's three things. And mm-hmm. I have a fourth for later for those that really get to the advanced class. But I like to keep it simple. Two eyes and a wish. Right. Two eyes and a wish. Well, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that is an interesting shorthand. <laughs> so... Well, you need a shorthand sometimes, Ned, especially if you're new at this, because usually when we're angry, we're tense, and we forget. And and all my clients come to me, always the same thing. How do you do this? How do you do this? And I'll say to somebody, for four years, you've been asking me how to do this. You just have to get the courage, remember, to do it. Mm -hmm. So, again, going to your, looking at your website, and which is... It's our, our website is called? Well, there are several ways to get in there. The easiest is conversationswithkatie.com. Mm-hmm. But anyway, looking at it, it, in my remembrance of it, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of overt statements of, that sort of suggest that, that, we, that we're a lot stronger and better if we'd sort of let it go, you know, and let, 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 let these things out and let these conversations happen. And, and for those people who are not yet convinced about that, um, or for whom that that the format of their historical relationships with others are built around sort of a formula, you know, that there's a sort of I feel fine formula or whatever it is. And for people who are pre-structured into those kinds of levels of um, engagement, and they're not used to a level of intimacy that you're inviting, it, it seems to me like they're not going to be able to let let go because they're, 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 there's not an agreement for the next level or the that the next level of intimacy. So I'm curious, how do you help and how do you encourage or invite your listeners on your radio show and your clients and the people you work with? How do you invite them to agree with, within themselves even to encourage that next level of intimacy? Well, Ned, you're really good at what you do here. That's a really good. A rather provocative and difficult question. I, you know, I think we live in a world in which most of it doesn't want to do this, uh, and I do believe that is primarily why we do have so much war, is because there is so much learned helplessness and all these reasons why let's not step up to the plate, let's not have difficult conversations, let's not deal with diversity, let's just kind of secretly judge or be critical of ourselves or each other. Uh, How do, your question, how do you encourage another human being or a group of people to open up? You know, I'm not sure I have the answer to that. I, I, for me, or, or, I mean, yeah. let, me, let me reframe okay. it again. I, I okay. was actually slightly different. I was actually asking, how do you support the advance of intimacy, that, that in, in, where it's where it's regarded by by in mutual in mutual terms by at least one, if not both members or both sides of a dialogue? How do you how do you encourage them toward the value of the greater level of intimacy if that's not their want, if that's not their typical mm-hmm. step? And I thought I saw you kind of not answering that question, so I wanted to try to bring you okay. back to that question. Yeah. Well, make sure I am answering the question because I think it's very profound. the The only thing that I like to 
constantly talk about is how much better you will feel if you do this conversation thing. Mm -hmm. And also, when I'm in an organizational situation, my experience has been to, I have, by encouraging constant conversation and openness, I have been able to inspire groups of people to actually love their work because they don't have to come to the office. What I tell them is, Look how much better you feel and look how much more you can give to your clients if you're vital and there's color in your face and you're not walking to work with as if you had two bricks, uh, a brick, brick tied on each shoe, which most people go to work feeling like that because they're angry at somebody in the environment. Mm. Look what you get. Mm -hmm. You feel better. You're lighter on your feet. You're laughing again. You're giving a big hug to the person that you had a judgment about. There's a lot the, so this, this, of oh, benefit. This, this openness creates an environment of positive ecology. Is exactly. What, I, what, I'm hearing Thank you. You, what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Yeah, On yeah, every yeah, level. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Not only your personal health, but the environment lightens up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a lot more fun. And for people to feel that ease and that 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 sense of mutual pr productivity, of course, with that with the greater openness, of course, then of course, as you, exactly as you say, the the opportunity for wellness, the wellness environment, of course, increases. Well, that said, then coming back to just the, sort of the cute little story that you had in your, um, uh, I'm not sure we can talk about this on the air. Um, uh huh. Uh, yes. Well. Well, while you a, while a, you a, think a, about that, I want, want wanted to make one more statement. Please. When I work with couples or I work with uh, groups and especially men, the image I use a lot because speaking up and telling the truth is so frightening to people. Mm -hmm. The image I use a lot is team. Teamwork, like, and I don't watch sports, but I always say, look at a great football team or look at a great tennis match or, you know, a, a great theater piece or a great band, you know, that stays together for 20 years. They absolutely have to have some way to connect with each other. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really the essence of how exciting and how much victory can occur if so you people talk. people can play football without running into each other. That's what I'm hearing you say metaphorically. Well, I mean, I think the best teams have good leadership and probably more communication. I see. I see. Well, um, you you make some cute points in this article that I have in front of me called "Healthcare Can Come From Anywhere." Maybe you can tell our listeners a few stories about that that you choose that um, that that characterize how. This is, as I say, this was the thing that really inspired me to have you on the show, in addition to the fact that we're co-hosts in terms of in, you, know, you follow my show and so on. I just, there, there, it just was so touching that I very seldom have heard somebody notice that the, tr the truth and the management of a healthcare matter can come from the most amazing places and the business of turning it over to professionals as a as a sort of a default situation is often a wrong idea, and I'm forever telling my clients that. So you you put it in such a nice storyline. So share with the listeners a story or two that talks to that point. Okay, that's a fun one because I wrote that just last month, uh -huh. and uh -huh. I guess one of my web people put that up there, and I didn't know it. But anyway, uh, the essence of that article is it was really a lot of fun looking back on my life. And looking at the times I've healed really serious problems, a back problem, a big space between my teeth, and there was a sexual issue that was really painful. And I thought it might impede 
any activity there for the rest of my life. And there were a lot of those stories that came to my mind. And I found as I was writing that in each one of those that was that now has been totally healed, including my eating disorder because I weighed 300 pounds and I struggled for for a lot of most of my youth with that issue. Oh. All of those have been completely healed, and all of them came out of left field, mm-hmm. not well. Let's say outside the box. Right. They they came from community members. They came from really odd sources. It wasn't traditional medicine, and I, I can certainly give you a story or two, but. You know, I, I tried and tried and tried. Well, that's what I, that, that, let's, yeah. let's actually tell the story because okay. I think that the story makes the point. The, 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 the theory sounds good, all right, but the story is so touching. So give our listeners a story, okay. or, a story or two okay. that, that goes with that. Unfortunately, the most fun one is I can't tell. Right, right, right. right, right. Okay. Well, do the second best The Jerry one. Springer show or something. Right. Uh, well, one I think that's really kind of quick and simple is I had a terrible back problem, mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. lot of people can relate. And I laid down. Everybody, of course, don't get out of bed. Stay on your back. You know, da 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 da. And this went on and on. And herniated disc, and they pointed to the X-ray and ah. Uh, and you know, then somebody I've still never met handed me an article by Doctor Sarno. That's S A R N O. I've seen the article yeah. actually. Yeah. 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 And I read it, rolling my eyes. Oh, new age, new age. Ah, oh, sure. And the next day, I was playing tennis. And it was, the essence of it, how I translated his article, was. The back heals itself. Just don't be afraid, because when you're afraid, it rigidifies. So that's a, a quick story. I, I think the one that's important to tell is my eating disorder, okay. because a, that's a, such a tough one. Okay. And I did everything. I went to OA. I did fasts. I exercised. I, you know, everything that everybody does. And the breakthrough came when I went over to a girlfriend's house. And she she was from Holland, and she said, "Well, so what's wrong? What's what's going on?" And I said, "Oh, I'm just I'm I'm uncomfortable, and I feel fat, and I can't get through this, and I'm just..." Rah, rah. And she says, "Lay down." So I laid on her rug, and she put her hand on my stomach, and she said, "So tell me everything you're thinking and feeling." So I said, "Oh, I'm so..." Rah, rah. And what came out of it was, I really wanted a boyfriend, and I felt too fat. And I got myself a boyfriend two weeks later, and my weight disappeared, and I never gained it back again. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that I noticed about your stories that there, there a lot of them are sort of psychic, have psychic conclusions. Of course, that your psychologist is sort of <laughs> uh, sort of says it all in a way. But it 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 seems like just a little twist of a sort of a psychic reality sort of puts things in a perspective for you that sort of really. Frees you up that 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 ends your hairball by this just that little turn of going around the corner and seeing the world in a new way, and 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 I think part of the the pleasure I have in reading your story is is that in fact you do just that, so and you tell it effectively in terms of how to you know how to you know how to turn the corner and see the world in a new way, and of course for many people of course their problems are not so conceptual. But there are, you know, they don't have money or they don't have whatever it is, you know. So it seems a little bit, 
like they're not going to be able to turn the corner and have a new idea, you know. But at the same time, that that good stories can be told, that good truths can be redis- can be discovered along the path of life is something that we need to talk about a lot more, and we will be able to talk more about that at the next part of our show. We need to take a break now for a few moments uh, while we do our PSAs here at KSVY ninety one point three Sonoma here, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Stay with us. Dance the night away this New Year's Eve, Monday, December 31st, 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. at the Sonoma Community Center, 276 East Napa Street. There will be a fabulous spaghetti dinner, rock and roll bingo, a full bar, dancing, champagne toast, and a balloon drop at midnight. The proceeds from this event will be donated to Mother to Mother, a nonprofit that helps mothers in Sonoma Valley. For more information, please call 415-250-6534. Do you know what Lita is? Lita is dedicated to improving the quality of life and lessening the loneliness of nursing homes by providing volunteer visitors as one-to-one friends. If you have 20 minutes a week, call Lita to find out if you can be a volunteer where you live, 542-1234. KSVY, Sonoma. Well, Ned Hoke is back with Katie Byrne. She's, uh, the name of your program, Katie, is? Conversations with Katie. Conversations with Katie, right here on KSVY, following my program here. And actually, your program will be on... Just you'll be they'll be you'll be getting two hours of Katie this uh, this uh, December the twenty sixth because we're pre recording yes and Pat Reed co-hosts and, and we and subtitle it Center of the Storm oh really yes and can you give our listeners a little uh, what a little promo on the upcoming program well thank you actually we have most of the programs coming up are mostly connected to relationship issues and how to basically connect and stay away from the divorce courts. And it applies the shows coming up have to do not just with friendship. So this is a series. This is a whole series. Yes. I see. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And of course, you you guys, uh, at least looking at your uh, uh, some of your, your written material here, you talk a lot about relationships. I mean, it's like I mean, <laughs> and in your blog, for instance, it says here, uh, the most recent one that I have anyway, it talks about how I have days my marriage seems impossible, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of really lay it out. Yeah. Um, and how does your partner feel about that? You know, actually, he's really comfortable with that. It's kind of interesting. He's much more an introvert and not as vocal, but he loves that I am. And Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of one of those typical attractions that happens uh, to us all. We get attracted because... He has a silent part, you have the the noisy part, so to speak. And then later on, you hate each other for it. You know, there's tension later on. But in the beginning, it's all very wonderful Mm because you help uh, each other. He holds the container and I open him up. Uh uh Uh, But it's not easy. It's been difficult, actually, Mm -hmm. lately, especially, Mm -hmm. because he doesn't want to open up. Mm -hmm. And that creates less intimacy, Mm -hmm. in, in my view. 
Yeah. One of the things that, speaking from the guy chair here, um, one of the things that, that I can just sort of feedback right to that place is that there's, there's a kind of a, one of the things that we guys want you gals to recognize and for particularly valuable, uh, you know, psychic seekers like yourself yes. who want to, you know, turn it all into words, uh, forgive me. Um, we, we, um, we want you to hear our silence, you know, and sometimes you'll be, you know, you'll be, you know, pushing the, the verbality, you'll be pushing the, the, the conceptualizing, you'll be pushing the sort of the, the, the thing that would come with, that would sort of dance into a word place. And we'll, we'll be holding our ground and saying, you know, much of our lives together has to be in this silent place and you better get used to that, you know. And so it's an interesting, I mean, I'm sure you know this, and I'm not giving you any break, break, breakthrough ideas, but just in the midst of this conversation, it just seems it's fun to tell you that. You no, know? it's really fun. I think it's great. It, it's, it's, I think it's alive to tell the truth about your experience as a man. Uh-huh. And, you know, on the other side of it, I do feel that part of the world is in trouble because it's run by men who have mm-hmm. been trained in the John Wayne school. Uh-huh. And that that silence is overvalued. Mm, okay, I, I can I can hear that. I can hear the politic of that. Uh, okay, that said, um, so there we're, that sort of takes us further down your blog here when you're talking about the issue of of radical honesty. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you come to radical honesty, what radical honesty means to you. Well, one of the things that I think I want to couch this in or frame it in is better is that we live in a world which is epidemic depression, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Epidemic apathy. What is happening? You're a health practitioner. What is happening to all the vitality in those bodies? You know, they come to you, right, with a headache or a, a insomnia or whatever the issue is, and they want your help. But what's stuck in there and not coming out, whether it's the form of constipation or whatever, is sometimes, as you know, very emotional. So I think both in a personal way and in a political way, I want to frame that in we really have so much learned helplessness and flat energy floating around because people are holding in their hairballs. You know, everybody out there knows a hairball is the thing a cat gets out. It's congestion. It's it's mm-hmm. stuck stuff inside mm-hmm. that is dark. Sometimes it's, you know, uncomfortable to deal with your aging mother because you don't want to tell her anything. She's not well, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So help me with your question again, though, because I got busy with my, uh, you know, on my platform here. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I the question was basically it. it the, the, I was asking you to sort of hold forth on your Commitment to radical honesty and okay. how how that got birthed in you. Oh right, and right. Al- and also I think that the the for those of us of about our generation and kind of how we came. I mean, I spent a long time in psychology. I was I was a inmate at uh, Esalen for <laughs> for uh, <laughs> several years and and went on the road and taught from that world. And so I've had an enormous benefit and a tremendous liberation in my own soul from having the privilege of being able to be in in the so-called safe spaces of the environment of radical honesty where you know all the psychic stuff can get hung out there with R.D. Lang and, and, and to the extreme. So 
I am completely at home and comfortable with the environment of that of that ethos. And yet, I know that I live in a special, I've had the privilege of a specialized world. And I'm curious how you, as a, you know, main, more of a mainstream person, at least in today's world, how you, not, how you, how you offer radical honesty in a, in a way that when we were in the 60s, it was one thing, but now we're in the 2007. And how, how, do, you, how do you help people come to that place? You're, and how do you kind of keep it alive? Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, I see client after client with this issue, and it comes in so many forms. It can come at the workplace. It can come in the couple. It could come within the family. It could be the teenager. Right. But there are almost all, I would say almost every issue gets reduced to, or addictions, to the inability to speak to our, either our own feelings and needs or to a relational connection that we're just t- too frozen there's to a, really there, speak there, there's, up. There's a, there's a natural constipation yes, almost. You a might natural say. constipation. Okay. And the thing that was so alive in the 60s, we no longer have. So what is going on with that? It's not only in our physical beings that we feel kind of st- stuck and frightened and uh, sometimes half dead just walking through our motions, but in the 60s, we did have speaking up, and mm-hmm. we had great poetry, great literature, great politicians, great writing, great uh, courageous speakers, and and the the community so the, talked. We, no, the whole world. All of us. All of us were doing Martin Luther King yes, in, our, in our own in way. In our own way. Know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so what happened to that? Now we're on Prozac. Now we're all running to you to try to get some kind of chiropractic help and the divorce rate is the highest it's been right it, so, so 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 you're a radical you, you, part of yes. your part of your thing is a yes. ra- radical political kind of commitment to to you can't bring the 60s back but you can hope to resupport the 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 sort of integrity as yes. well as the enthusiasm yes. for this radical honesty yes okay. and and you feel that i'm not going to put words in your mouth but you okay. you you um you sense that there is an opportunity somehow. Absolutely. I so, think there's a need. There's a desperate need for somebody to say, where is everybody? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's time to co- come on back. Let's and, speak up. And and do you, do you feel like you, in the middle of that, how do you maintain a sense of humor about that? Uh-huh. Well, I, that's a great question. By the way, you probably know that Simonton found in his research Carl, on yeah, Carl yeah. on on cancer, mm-hmm. that the people predominantly who got cancer were the saintly types. Mm. They were the the nice people. Well, watch out for nice people because they're not telling the truth a lot of the time. Uh-huh. Uh, so, okay, get me back to the question again. That uh, oh, I forgot what you just asked me. Uh, well, I'm so excited on this topic because well, it's, I, it's, 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 re- really Aaron Brockovich was one of my great models, and uh-huh, I think uh-huh, so many uh-huh. people need to. to I, I I asked you how do you exist with this how do you coexist with this this drive this personal drive for radical honesty uh-huh. and, and at the same time um not lose the sense of humor that's going to re- be required to to actively to, okay. to, to, to actually insert yeah. it into the into the public domain in other words we're, we, yes. we yes. even though we do have the you know we have the the iraqi war and we should just be as mad as hell about that as yes. we would be as we were during the vietnam war and and there so that same 
and, and but we don't we're not seeing it in the same way with the students in today that that were then that we were then in the in the 60s and so on but still to maintain any kind of uh, public presence for the kind of radical honesty that I really now that I've had a chance to speak with you about it that I see that you really are supporting the 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 absolute kind of requirement that that somehow come in, like with Annie Lamott Annie Lamott Annie, has, it, yeah. it has a, manages to to have that cut through kind of humor and or cut through, but then also always has the the humor side to it. How do you yourself try to accomplish that? Yes, well, I've, I you know it's such a fabulous question because I my personal belief is that the more honest we are with ourselves and unashamed mm-hmm. about ourselves, which is another really hard thing to leap through. I mean, I've worked on shame for 25 years mm-hmm. because if you're honest, for me, shame comes up simultaneously, you know. With honesty. Yes. Uh-huh. And we can talk about that a little more if we want to. But But the point is that... What I find is the more honest I am, the more fun I have and the more humor. Because just think about it. Imagine yourself in a relationship where you can't tell the truth and you're kind of holding something in. It could be even minor. Like, oh, the last time we talked, uh, you turned away, you didn't say goodbye. You know, it could be small stuff. And you start to stiffen up, right? Well, then there's less humor. As soon as you clear the air, there's more like, oh, my God, I was being paranoid again, and you still love me. I I know you do. You know, Pat and I do this a lot, actually. We've, mm-hmm. we've had a, at least a few times I've said, Pat, are you mad at me? And, of course, when she says no, well, then I'm, I'm laughing again. Mm-hmm. But as long as I'm holding that hairball, mm-hmm. I don't have humor. Mm-hmm. Humor is a kind of a loose state, <laughs> if you will. Mm-hmm. It's free. But at the same time, you... you um uh, at the same time, probably you need sort of strategic humor as well, so that you need to be in charge a little bit about about that. And so, as as yeah. as as you as you work through your own stuff, uh, what is it you find that that enables you or keeps your keeps your mind on the humor ball on the humor ball as, yeah. where, as well as where is the hair, as well as the hairball? You know, because I think that, yeah. you know, because I mean, to me that. Seems like the only way we're going to be able to sell this thing. You know? I know it well. You know, I emphasize it. Of course, in the book, it's all full of wonderful, funny cartoons. And uh, my mother was a writer, so all my columns end, and more and more as I'm writing this year, they always end with a funny twist. Uh-huh. And I, I do think it comes naturally with being honest, mm-hmm. because. Honesty also always includes inquiry. There's always a, well, what's up with that? You know, well, how come, you know, I couldn't walk yesterday and today I'm playing tennis? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, how come, uh, you know, I'm suddenly feeling lighter and happier? So, yeah, it's strategic because my mother was actually a humor writer. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it's just born into me. And, and my both my parents saw humor in everything. It was at least several times a day. And where did you go? It up? was quite amazing. Seattle. Oh, Seattle. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. What part? Right in Seattle? Yep. Downtown Seattle? We lived in, well, they, they moved a lot. So we moved all over Seattle uh-huh, until they died. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Really? Maybe just to go, just to fly dry off into a personal space. Sure. Tell us a little bit about Kind of how it was for you growing up in, in Seattle. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. If you don't mind. Uh. <laughs> Where do you think I got this hairball idea from? Uh-huh. Well, you know, I'd like to, to sh- share on that. I mean, I'd love to talk about it. I guess everybody likes to talk about themselves. But 
I, I think one of the stories from growing up that might be most important for us in terms of this show is one of the there were a couple of things that inspired the book Hairball Diaries, but one of them was when my mom died. And we were a very open family. My mom spoke openly, mm-hmm. often, uh, and upset everyone, of course. She was not the little doormat housewife. No, not, yeah. not the doormat. No, yeah. she was out there with uh, Ferlinghetti and Ginsburg on the campus doing a lot of, I mean, her great models were Theodore Ro- and Eleanor Roosevelt and such and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, They were all well-read. My mom owned a bookstore. But... At the end when she was dying, I didn't quite realize until after she had died that I had started to shut down. I quit telling the truth because I didn't want her to suffer more. And what happened was, by not wanting to rock the boat and by shutting down, I was less available to her emotionally. I was I traveled to Seattle less often because it, I didn't like that tense feeling. Mm. And she died alone. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that would have happened if I could have said to her, Mom, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid. I'm afraid well, of you dying. I'm afraid of your anger because she became very angry, even more so as she got onto more drugs. Mm-hmm. And it was a terrible ending. I felt very incomplete. And that started this book. Well, really. I think that that's an interesting place to take a break. Uh, we're, we'll come back here and talk more with Katie Byrne, the uh, proprietress of uh, Conversations with Katie here at KSVY. This is Ned Hoke with Natural Methods Healthcare in Sonoma, uh, sharing this time with you. We'll be back with you in just a couple of minutes. Please stay with us. Uh Noma Girl Events presents New Year's Eve at Sonoma Community Center. DJs Adam 12 and DJ Kalau, Reverend Dr. DJ Davidian with DJ Big A Happiness Sound and Burlesque Dancers out of San Francisco. Burlesque show is at 10 p.m. Doors open at 9.30. We will also be doing Rock and Roll Bingo with a full Spaghetti Shack dinner from Emmy's Spaghetti Shack in San Francisco at 7.30. This will be benefiting the Mother to Mother Foundation here in Sonoma Valley. Tickets on sale at Sonoma Valley Music. For more information, please call 415-250-6534 or email us at nomagirlevents at gmail.com. Tune into Pet Talk every Thursday from 1 to 2 and follow our new series on working pets and animals. It's amazing what they do and how they help us in so many ways. From guarding alpacas to posing for portraits, these pets help to make our everyday lives extraordinary. Tune in also to learn about the latest medical and pet-related info with Dr. Stallings and her guests. Thursdays from 1 to 2 on KSVY 91.3. KSVY, Sonoma. And welcome back. Ned Hoke joined today with Katie Byrne, and we're talking about all things Katie Byrne and and all things to do with uh, her book, uh, Hairball Diaries. It is available at Amazon.com and probably at our uh, local bookstores here, Reader's Books, etc. And uh, we are doing a show the first day, the day after Christmas, and we're pre-recording, so we won't be be able to take any call-ins for those of you who want to talk to Katie. But, of course, you can. Of course, you can't. You don't take call-ins for your show, do you? Not at this time. Right. So so you can can never call Katie at the show, so that's kind of too bad, but we'll have to learn to live with that. So um, you, you, you say... 
in again, we're sort of in this radical honesty kind of moment, and you've just shared this really kind of important story about, you know, your mom and how it was at the end of her life and how by your withdrawing, you left her in a way that you later felt that that was a bad choice, basically, and that, that even though she was angry probably and even though whatever it was that was, it needed to be what it was. And for you to withdraw from that was uh, was an error, and um, um, and I think that here at the end of the end of the season, here at the dark season of the year, these are things that are touching a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure that in your business as well as mine, people come in and they're remembering. They're remembering the death of a of a loved one this year. They're remembering the loss of a relationship. They're remembering the end of something rather. And we are at the end of the year, and we're all selling our stock and hopefully in time. And um, so um, tell our listeners a little bit more about your family background in Seattle and kind of what, what it is that made you what you, you are today. In other words, you, you've told us that you had a sort of a 300-pound period of your life, that, you, uh, uh, that you're, you know, you, you're the valuable one and your husband's the silent one. But tell our listeners, come, coming back to Seattle, I should perhaps reveal that I, I, my family was uh, uh, in Seattle. Uh, I gave guided tours at the Seattle World's Fair in 1962. It was my first job out of high school, and it was a wonderful summer. My, my uh, relatives used to own the Black Ball Line, which is the Puget Sound Navigation Company, so the, the, the boats that were all around the, the, in the uh, uh, Puget Sound. Um, and so I, had, I was going to go out and work on the boats, but it turned out that the, the World's Fair was a whole lot more fun to, to be part of and so on. So I've lived in Seattle, and my sister now lives in, on Whidbey. My mom also now lives on Whidbey. So it's, uh, I have some familiarity with the area. So do you still at all have any kind of longing for Seattle, or are you pretty I happy? Do. do you? Well, I long for the farmer's market. I long for a couple of my friends up there. But uh-huh. frankly, yeah. uh, most of the people that were closest to my heart are di- are dead, uh-huh. and uh-huh. and uh-huh. some younger people as well. And yeah. it's pretty pretty painful for me to think about going back. So oh, I'm I'm going to strategically go back again. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fear actually. What do you what do you remember about Seattle as a place that that most sort of still touches you, still kind of calls to you, or still gives you a lovely gives you a lovely memory? Well, thanks for asking, and and uh, then I want to get back also to the whole idea that me, you mentioned about the holidays and about this time of year, the we'll, dark time, we'll, and we'll and get okay, to that. Get back. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, in terms of Seattle, you know, it's a touching question because. For me, and I don't know if this is your truth, but for me, my days in Seattle were so much about community. And my theory about that was that it rained so much we had to connect. (laughs) Sort of goes back to the old Burning Man, Larry Harvey theory that the reason Burning Man works is that the conditions are so difficult that people have to get together. But I really remember Seattle as just constant connection in a deeper way and in a way I've never felt before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was also another time in our culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, But that was what really stood out for me and the friendships were so rich mm-hmm. and so accepting i don't i didn't feel terribly judged i seattle seemed to have kind of a an open outdoorsy feel to it it's and the west it's, it's the, the it's, west it's, it's the westest of the west yes. yeah so it's uh but it it so 
in in term and you left there at what time after after college or I left during the sixties because I was really drawn to come down and so be you, a you child. Joined, you joined us here yes, in California. Uh-huh, absolutely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is where it was at. Uh-huh. Right. Hey. I didn't I didn't know it was where it was at, but I came to California <laughs> hoping it was something. You know? I went straight to the Haight Ashbury. Oh did you really? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. I went straight to Big Sur. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, so yeah, you too. Yeah, exactly. I went 1967, October oh 1967. Oh my goodness! Interesting. Wow. I, start, I started coming to California in '65, uh, and I heard the call, and then yeah. and then and me then, too. And, and then then '67 came around, and I got the VW bus, and I drove yep. to California. So, at any rate, um, wow. coming back to uh, your thoughts on on. Um, on the dark, the dark seasons, and, and and kind of how that's all moving through us. And since we are now in that time, tell our listeners a little bit about your thoughts on what, how people can receive that darkness, how people can live, maybe affected by, but not overwhelmed by, whatever that could be. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really well formulated question because I have two answers for it. You know, I think at holiday time and when families are connecting, that's when you see a lot of this holding in and this tightness. I've heard a lot of conversation lately about people saying, oh, God, I have mixed feelings because I don't know if I can really be myself with Aunt uh, Betty or uh, Uncle Paul. Uh, You know, I just have to kind of go for two days and then I'm back, you know. And so I really encourage people to start even in little tiny steps, uh, telling the first truth first. It doesn't have to be the whole hairball. It could be one little tiny truth straight from your gut. Like, you know, sometimes I'm tense around you, Paul or John or Susie. Mm. Well, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. And But the other thing I wanted to say is that there's a part of the book that when I found I was doing lectures in, in, in bookstores, people, this was the part that had all the charge. And it was a part called Boundaries. Now, I had learned Years ago, Ned, and you remember this, we all learned it, that it was good to have boundaries. You were supposed to set limits and set boundaries and make sure you didn't let people in from a certain distance. You straight-armed them. You kept your arm out. And that was, well, I, not, my belief is that boundaries are what create the darkness, and it's why we have war. Boundaries are a substitute for soul. Boundaries are only needed because we cannot talk to each other. If we could drop the arm and say, you know, I've been keeping you at a distance because dot, 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 and here's what I would intend to happen. Here's what I wish could happen. Here's what I've been feeling. Can I check it out with you? We'd have a lot less darkness. So you're you're really positing a, a totally collaborative model, and and there's yes. no there's no top down there for nope. you. Yeah, no. And, and there's a black hole right in between those two. That the the black hole happens when we set boundaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, given that the power apparatus of the world, you know, the commercial world as well as many other parts of the world, have uh, whether it's class systems or some form of top down action, action it, it does sound like at least as the course of my life when I've hear, heard people speak as you just have about the collaborative world and, and uh, the, the um, anyway. I'm to, glad we, we're both having a little memory issue yeah, yeah, here today. The Marshall Rosenberg world and, and all that and that whole collaborative thing. And I, I hear that and I go, how are we going to get from where we are to yes, there? Right, I mean, exactly. and I and I and I I've heard Marshall many many times, and I've been in groups like that, 
And I, and of course, I, I immediately identify my own uh, commitment and lack thereof, and different, very uh, unbalanced kind of connection with with this, the, the privilege that I have that I'm used to having, and that that even though I, you know, I don't pretend, I don't, I don't hawk it particularly, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, I'm privileged. I'm a, a white guy. I'm economically competent, and and so on and so forth. So I, um, um, it's it's. It's, and there's lots of people who don't have the privilege that I have and, and, are, and are likely to continue to have. And so, and I, it's, so as, given that that's such an idealistic posture that, that you seem to suggest there, that I, you know, with lots of us can like it, how do you, on a practical basis with the people you work with and the way you write and the way you think about this, how do you help people start down that road? How do you help them deal with the confrontations with the the, the the you know the pushing back that the world is likely to give them, given that the whole sort of drift is is is, is rather different. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's it's I think it's like anything else in life. When you're learning something new, whether it's a musical instrument or or learning how to talk to, talk to people. First of all, I try to inspire people because with with men especially, I say, hey, look how much better of a team you can have if you actually can work together through good communication. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, you're in a canoe going round and round in circles. And guys like that because they want to win, you know. Uh, but to the to the women I talk a lot about, I lost five pounds every time I spoke up. And, of course, that turns them on. They're like, oh, my God, I can, I'm okay. I'll force myself. I'll go you know? for that, yeah. But, but there's another piece here, which is that uh, when I lost 300 pounds, I found my health, my vigor, uh, more connection all the way around with people I had had disconnection with. So I try to inspire people and... But I think uh, uh, my dog's a talker, too. We need, um, you know, we need support, though, ultimately. And there's a last thing that I find helps people, and I call it bookends. And here's what it looks like. When I have a difficult conversation and I know I'm about to have it and I feel like I'm jumping off a, a diving board and I'm scared, I will, I will tell people, set up a bookend. You call someone first and say, I'm about to do this, and then you call them after and say, here's what happened. Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. otherwise, you're going to get flooded with ideas and beliefs like, well, that didn't work, or that didn't go well, or I'm never going to do that again. or uh, you know, uh, Ultimately, it can bring about some real fear if it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. So you need a lot of support. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as a culture, if, if you were a, sort of a cultural designer of, of social process, what would you suggest, given your experience, what would you suggest that we can do collaboratively? You know, you're kind of largely talking on a one-on-one -on -one basis or in a, in a kind of rather theoretical thing in terms of, in terms of group process. What, what steps do you see us being able to take as a society, collaboratively, to I mean, are we should we should we learn Marshall Rosenberg's stick? Should we what 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 are the steps that that we could hear in here in Sonoma Valley? What what are we what could we be doing that we're not doing, or what's close to what we're already doing that would start to take us in the direction of what you're talking about, that would support the the collaborative quality that you're asking for? 
and I'll give you a minute to take care of your creature there. Yeah, well, and I also would like, I'd kind of like to hear what you have to say on this, because I didn't carry the book into this realm very much, and I would like to, so you're giving me an idea about the next book, but Mm -hmm. the thing that comes to my mind right away is that I don't think until we as individuals see the value of speaking up, uh, I don't, and I don't think until we acknowledge the shadow of this, which is we each struggle with shutting down, stonewalling, uh, withdrawing, isolating. Uh, so, we, so we need an existential reformation for individuals who then are prepared to make, take the next step. But absent that that personal reformation, if you will. Then this this we we're not going to be able to achieve it socially. Is what I'm hearing you say. Well, I think which of course probably is it's, it's an inaccurate either or because it's, that's not a fair thing. But I mean I, the thing is that, that certainly the more desirable piece would be to have the, you know, to have the individuals have this all abasheka, this waking up kind of thing, and then we could all kind of get on with you know doing a social life that mad, that mattered instead of you know running around and shopping and. Speaking of, you know, I got, <laughs> like Reverend Billy says, you know, like, you know, stop shopping, you know. That's great. Yeah. Let me turn it on you a little bit, because okay. I know you're very politically active, mm-hmm. and it's not because I don't have thoughts on it. I'm really curious, in a brainstorm way, what do you think would turn people from this learned helplessness, as Michael Lerner and such people talk about, and I admire them very much, and I think we are stuck in learned helplessness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I, like it. I, I don't have broad thoughts on that. I, what I try to do in medicine is I try to, um, and I call all my clients doctor when they come in the door. I right away say to them, you know, I'm sorry, we don't accept in disempowerment. You are the doctor, I am the assistant. So that's kind of how I run my game. And I, so from the very get-go in terms of my professional life, that's how I do it. I don't have any kind of really overarching kind of theoretical constructions on how to do anything different. I mean, I'm just struggling along to try to, um, try to make the point that as I, one of the other things I use in my sort of literature that goes with my practice is I, a quote from Gary Snyder, who says, "You know, the you know the most intimate access that all we all have to the um, to the natural world is ourselves. Our you know, and our our the, our bodies are our, our closest contact with wilderness, which is a lovely frame for me because so many people experience their feelings in a frightful way." When in fact their feelings are in fact the, the way they can feel their way to their to their what their needs are and and and, and respond in a, in a proper way and what I loved about again what you said in your um, uh, book about healthcare as people begin to trust their feeling their way to their own healthcare if they can if they can uh, trust their sense like for instance a, a young man came in my office yesterday and he said you know he was having a lot of stomach trouble with his stomach and this and that. And, I'm, and, he's, and he's just going through the, for the first period where the he always he just moved out of his house a year or so ago, and he's, he's used to his mother feeding him, and he doesn't know what what to eat, and he's of course living in a world where he's, he's a lot of the you know this epicurean environment that we're in, so at any rate, um, and I'm saying so I have to say to him I say, you you smell, you take you you put things in front of your nose and you. Does, does this sound like something? Does this smell like something that feels good to you? Does this so trust yourself? Learn how learning how to trust yourself, and it was fun to talk to him about that. And we have about another minute or two, do we? Oh boy, we have four minutes. Oh more. Okay, so we got four more minutes, and that's anyway. That's kind of what I. So I work very, very primordially individually, 
and I, that's pretty much the end of my thought on the matter. I, and I'm it, collectively, I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a hopelessness guy. I mean, I kind of look at the world and I go, "Oh, gee whiz! I mean, this looks like a little too much." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're a little bit on the same pl- uh, track with that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know what? I, I think it's a really good place to end on, though, okay. because I have just read a book called "Learned Optimism" by Seligman, and if you haven't read it, boy, okay. you got to. Okay. Twenty-five years of research on depression, mm-hmm. and it's been really helping me a lot. And I think it pertains very much to this question: How do we change ourselves, and how do we get back to changing the world? Mm. Because as I end my book with, how do we how do we leave a legacy for the children? Do we want to leave our kids a world? where in which we are all feeling kind of stuck in our jobs and feeling like we don't know how to speak to each other. Uh, And I call it finding the courage for the next generation. Mm -hmm. You know, but Seligman says that you can change the tendency to ruminate and the tendency to think negatively because these are learned behaviors Mm -hmm. just by, he says, even put a rubber rubber band on your wrist. And Mm -hmm. every time you catch yourself saying, and this isn't to say to to deny reality or to deny depression or painful reality, but to you can pull that rubber band every time you find yourself saying, I can't do anything about it. I give up. It's time for us to quit giving up uh-huh. and start stepping up. It's, and you, what you get out of that, you feel more alive, you feel more sexual, you get your body back, you get your health back. In health matters, that's what we're talking about today mm-hmm, somewhat. Mm-hmm. And we get the world back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, people, the great leaders did speak up. Mm-hmm. They weren't at home going, I'm not going to say anything mm-hmm. because I don't want to rock the boat. I wouldn't want to hurt anybody. Mm. The, the great the great leaders had to have the courage, and that's my subtitle, The Courage to Speak Up, the title, Hairball Diaries. Well, it's going to be easily available at, uh, at your website. It's easily available at Amazon.com. It's easily, easily available at Reader's Books and probably the other bookstore in town whose name slips my mind. And uh, are you going to be giving any more readings about Hairball Diaries here and, here and about? I don't have anything set up now, but I'd sure love to. Okay. Yeah. And your sh- and your show does this also? Do you talk about the the contents of this book or what? What's to tell? Give our listeners a, a twenty second promo on your show, the which show is coming up, which is, is coming up in thirty in two minutes. Yes, <laughs> one of the things we talk about all the time is the show is inquiries into the human condition. It is great author interviews and community interviews, dialogues that tell the truth about what are the problems at hand for all of us in our everyday lives and what are the solutions. And this is right here on KSVY 91.3 Sonoma. This is Ned Hoke saying thanks, Katie Byrne, for being part of our show today here. Again, Merry Christmas and thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next week here at Health Matters on KSVY 91.3 Sonoma. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye now. And thanks to Pat Reed. And thanks to Pat Reed by all means.